Good morning, church. You can open up your Bibles to James chapter 3. James 3, verses 13 to 18. It's our text this morning. James starts this text with a question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? A lot of people in the world would raise their hand and say, me, I'm wise. I have understanding. There are all kinds of authors and books and blogs and posts that tell you how to live your life, to offer you wisdom. In fact, there's a whole genre of books called self-help books. Self-help books. I I went online and I looked up some of the most famous self-help titles, and I found some interesting books. One of them is called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You read that book, you've got the seven. Seven habits you need. Here's one called The Power of Now. The Power of Now. I don't really know what that means or what that would be about, but it's a, it's a popular book, apparently. The Magic of Thinking Big. The Magic of Thinking Big. I suppose if you start thinking bigger, you'll have magical power or something. I don't know. Twelve Rules for Life. Famous book. The other one had seven. This one has twelve. Twelve ways to, to have wisdom. I like this one a lot. Awaken the giant within. Awaken the giant within. I didn't know I had a giant within. I wonder what that giant looks like or what what he's going to do. Another is you can heal your life. You can do it. You can heal your life. Read that book and apparently your life will be healed. Our last one, become a better you. Become a better you. Read this book and you will be a better you. Do you notice that most of these books are focused on you, your life, your giant, your power, you, you, you? A lot of people have wisdom for you to consider. Now, I'm not saying these books are completely sinful. There may be some wisdom in these books about time management or productivity or or physical health and things like that. So I'm not saying it's a sin for you to go and read some of these books, but For the most part, these books are pointing you to you. And for 75 dirhams, you can have all the answers and wisdom that you need. Or you can read James. You can read the book of James, and James is going to show us what wisdom from above looks like this morning. We're going to see what heavenly wisdom is this morning as we look at James 3, 13 to 18. So let's look at James 3, 13 to 18. Let's read it. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is pure, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, 
open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Who is wise and understanding among you? That's the question James gives us today. And James is going to show us two kinds of wisdom this morning, earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And in typical James fashion, he uses strong words to make his point. There's no gray area here. Either it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic, or it's from above, from heaven, from God. So we're going to look at James's clear descriptions of two kinds of wisdom this morning, the earthly wisdom and then the wisdom from above. And I pray that God will show you what true wisdom is in your life and will grant us more and more wisdom even this morning. So first, let's look at the earthly wisdom, the false wisdom, the earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. Some translations even say, of the devil. That's where this wisdom is coming from. It's the opposite of God's wisdom. Look at verse 14. We see the description of this. He says, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So two sins are mentioned here, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. These are demonic, devastating sins. You know, sometimes we think of sins like this, like jealousy and selfish ambition. These are kind of minor sins, right? Like, everyone struggles with these. Everyone has at least a little bit of selfish ambition. This isn't one of the big ones, like murder. Do we really need to take these so seriously? Well, James sure does, calling them demonic and unspiritual. These are serious sins. These are the opposite of what the Spirit of God should be producing in Christians. These sins lead to disorder and every vile practice. So many of our other sins are rooted in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts. These are sins as Christians that we must take very seriously. So let's talk about these a little bit in more detail. Bitter jealousy. Jealousy goes back even to the Ten Commandments. The tenth of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. Coveting, jealousy, envy. These are all synonyms. These are all very similar ideas and sins. It's desiring something that is not yours. It does not belong to you. Or it is resenting other people when good things happen in their lives because you think that should be happening to you. And James emphasizes that this jealousy is bitter. Bitter. Bitterness is the opposite of contentment. Bitterness is the opposite of thankfulness. And so if you have bitter jealousy in your life, it's showing that you are lacking contentment And you're not thankful for the things the Lord has given you. You're taking your eyes off the blessings the Lord has given you and coveting what is happening to others. It's discontentment. It's bitter jealousy. How do you feel when good things happen to others around you? 
Are you able to rejoice with them? Or are you secretly thinking, that should happen to me? How come they're getting a blessing? I should be getting the blessing. You know, to my single brothers and sisters, how do you feel when one of your friends starts dating someone or becomes engaged to be married? Are you able to be happy for them? Or do you think, it should be me. It's my turn. I'm better looking than him. I'm more mature than her. Why is God letting them get married? I should be the one getting married. It's bitter jealousy in your heart. What about when someone else in the church gets a job promotion? Are you able to rejoice with them? You think, that's not fair. I'm a better worker than they are. How come I'm not getting that? It's bitter jealousy in your heart rather than contentment in the Lord. So how do you respond when good things happen to others? That will show your heart. And then let's look at selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. This is the desire for achievement, power, success, rising yourself up to be famous or distinct or above others. This is what we see at the heart of most of those self-help books, right? It's selfish ambition, how to make yourself better, how to raise yourself up to climb the ladder of success. It's all about you. My friends, selfish ambition is the opposite of the gospel. It is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Think about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what the main message is of our Bible. The main message, it all points to Jesus. And Jesus came and what did he do? He laid himself aside. He was selfless. He came as a servant. Even though he was the king of kings, the lord of lords, the ruler of the universe, he took on flesh, became a human, and laid his life down the form of a servant. He he washed the disciples' feet. He spent time with the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. He humbled himself selflessly, even to death, to sacrifice himself on a cross for our sins. Do you see how this is the opposite of selfish ambition? And so for us Christians... If we begin to live out selfish ambition, we're straying away from Jesus. The call to be a Christian is the call to lay down your life. To become a Christian, you must humble yourself and see your need for a Savior. Then to pick up your cross. So my friend, if you're here today or you're listening online and you're not a Christian, please hear this. You cannot improve yourself enough to go to heaven. You cannot fix yourself or find enough wisdom in yourself to get right with God. At the heart of the Bible is that you need a Savior. You're a sinner who deserves God's judgment. And you can never fix yourself or improve yourself enough. So I urge you to turn to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for our jealousy, for our selfish ambition, for all of our sins, that for all who would believe in him, he gives forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Get rid of the selfish ambition. It's not going to work. 
Come to Jesus. So a good question to ask yourself to diagnose your heart when it comes to selfish ambition is what are you working toward? What are you working toward? Or what are your goals in life? Think about this, brothers and sisters. Why do you do what you do? Is your goal in work, even your goal in your family or in your life, ultimately for yourself, for your career, your success, your bank account, your pleasure, your next vacation, your retirement? Is that really what's driving you in most of what you do? Selfish ambition. Sometimes I even see in parents and families that it looks like you're serving your family, but actually your motive in serving your family is that your kids and wife or husband will make you look good. I've seen that even in Christians sometimes. They, They look like they're serving their family, but all they really want is that their kids will grow up and be successful so that everyone will know how great of a parent they are that their kids will make them look good. So even that is coming back to a selfish ambition. And you can imagine that can have really bad effects on your kids if that's your goal, just that they would make you look good. So this selfish ambition comes out in in our motives and why we do things. And the Lord wants to transform that and take it to a different ambition, to a kingdom ambition. That our goals in life as Christians, that the things we are working toward is to make Jesus' name famous, not our name famous. To see other people know Jesus, not know about us. So I want to urge you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as you make decisions in your life, whether to take this job or that job or move to that city or this city, is your motive in those decisions to seek the kingdom How can I serve the Lord through that job? How can I serve the Lord in that city? How can I serve the Lord and grow in that church? Those are the questions to ask when facing the big decisions. Those are the questions that show a kingdom ambition rather than a selfish ambition. And imagine a church that's full of jealousy and selfish ambition. (laughs) It gets ugly pretty fast. People competing with each other for different roles. You know, one person sees someone on stage singing. Why do they get to sing every week? I'm a better singer than they are. (laughs) No one's asked me to sing. This happens, right? Or the pastor always thanks that group and their ministry. The pastor's never thanked me. I've been serving for five years. pastor's never thanked me. Well, maybe the pastor just forgot. Give him a little grace, you know. But is that why you're serving? So that everyone will notice you and thank you? (laughs) Or are you serving the Lord to build up the body? Or I've been in this church 15 years. How dare they make a decision without consulting me? How come I'm not a deacon? This is what happens when a church is full of jealousy and selfish ambition. Be careful of this. James shows us that this is earthly wisdom, unspiritual, demonic. Let's search our hearts. Search our motives. Let's go now to the second half of this text, second half of this sermon, where we will focus on 
the wisdom from above. The wisdom from God. The wisdom that marks the Christian. We often think of wisdom as the ability to make decisions. We pray and ask God for wisdom on what to do with this difficult decision. And that's good. That's a good prayer. We see a lot of Bible verses about that. But James, in his description of godly wisdom, focuses more on character. It's not just about how to make decisions here. It's about character traits that show godly wisdom. And we're going to look at five attributes of wisdom from above. Five attributes of heavenly wisdom that James shows us here. And the first one is action. Action. The wise person takes action. Look at verse 13 again. James asks that initial question, and his first answer for who is wise is, by his good conduct, let him show his good works, show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So right away, James is telling us that the wise person has good conduct. His works are shown. Her works are seen. This person is walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And we've seen this theme in James. We saw this back in chapter 2. That's why our series is called Faith That Works. You can see the godly wisdom in other people by how they live their lives. They're not just writing books and giving you a bunch of great ideas of what wisdom is. They're living it. They're not just reading the Bible and getting a lot of knowledge from it. They're obeying it. They're doing what God's word says. That is wisdom from above. It takes action. It's a walker, not a talker. I mean, have you ever met a person who talks about themselves all the time? They always have some wisdom to give you, or every time you see them, they have some new story about themselves or about their lives. It's pretty annoying, right? I've had this happen many times. People come to me like, how are you doing, Kurt? I'm doing pretty good. And then they just jump in. Oh, let me tell you, you won't believe what happened last week. I did this, and then this happened, and my family this, and my family that. And they go on for 10 or 15 minutes. I'm like, I didn't even ask you how you were doing. And you just went 15 minutes talking about yourself. You don't even want to spend time with people like that, right? They're just talking the talk. No, you want to spend time with people who are walking the walk. You can see the fruit in their lives by their actions. That's the kind of person you want to be around. That's heavenly wisdom. You know, sometimes after a conversation with someone or I spend time with friends, I actually ask myself, what percentage of the conversation was I talking? You can ask yourself that after your next group or next time with friends. It, I always want to try to be below 50%. I want to be a person who's asking questions and learning and hearing about others. Or as James says, quick to hear and slow to speak. Don't be the person that dominates the conversation. So we've seen action as the first attribute of godly wisdom. The second attribute is meekness. Meekness. James says, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness. This is a great word. It's not a common word in English. Actually, we don't use this word a lot. 
but it's a great biblical word. So what does it mean? Well, it's actually the same word used here that is gentleness in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. It's very similar to gentleness. Other synonyms would be kindness or humility. It's meekness. We remember that Jesus said, blessed are the meek. The world would tell us that meekness is a bad trait. I didn't see meekness in the title of any of the self-help books. Not five steps to meekness or nine steps to gentleness or 17 steps to humility. I didn't see any like that. This is not something that the world values. But meekness and gentleness are central to the Christian life, central to wisdom from above, from God. I love this quote that I saw in one of the Bible commentaries about meekness. He said, meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. So it's kind of like gentleness and self-control combined. When you're meek, you have such a strength within, a strength from knowing Jesus, a strength from having a relationship with God through Jesus, that then you can be humble with others. You don't have to take over things. You don't have to control things. You don't have to exert yourself in everything. You can be meek because you know who you are. You are strong because of the Lord's work in your life. Your identity is so strong in Christ that you can be meek with others. You know, in many of our cultures, we view meekness or gentleness as feminine characteristics. The women are supposed to be gentle and kind and nice, but the men, we are strong. We dominate. We whatever other adjective it would be in your culture. But is that what the Bible says about men? Is this text here in James 3 just for women? Is the fruit of the Spirit just for women? I don't see that here. So men, the biblical man is a gentle man. Biblical masculinity is meek, not dominant. A biblical man takes his strength and uses it to serve others. A biblical man takes his strength and uses it to help the weak. Not to dominate the weak. Not to hurt the weak or control people. Certainly not to dominate or control our wives or even our children. We use our strength to serve. That's the mark of a godly, wise man who has wisdom from above. It's meekness. Forget what your culture says about a man. And look at what the Bible says about a man. Look at the man of men, Jesus Christ. How did Jesus describe himself? He said, I'm gentle and lowly at heart. That's the kind of man we want to be, men. And hey, women, you too. Meekness is a trait of biblical femininity. This is something we should see in men and women. This wisdom from above flowing out of us through gentleness and meekness. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. 
You know, even in the Bible, in the characteristics of elders in 1 Timothy 3, gentle is one of the words mentioned for an elder or pastor. So we've seen now action and meekness from verse 13. Let's now go down to the list in verses 17 and 18. I'll show you three more attributes of heavenly wisdom. Three more attributes here. So the next one we will look at is purity. Purity. The wisdom from above is first pure. James says this is first. He's giving a priority to this purity. And then the other attributes flow out of purity. James is talking about a moral purity here. A sense of blamelessness, holiness in our lives. So in other words, if you are living in sin, if you are walking in darkness, unrepentant in your sin, then you will not see wisdom from above in your life. Now, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. We saw last week, we all stumble in many ways. You're not going to be perfect. But if you're walking in darkness, living in impurity, you're not wise. Don't expect to see these other attributes come out of your life. Don't justify your sin. The wisdom from above is first pure. This is a call to be seeking purity in our lives and fighting against sin. That is true wisdom. You can't claim to have wisdom when you're walking in impurity. Even the world around us will see the hypocrisy in that, that your life doesn't match up with your claims. If you're living in sin, you don't have wisdom from above. Take your sin seriously, brothers and sisters. You know, it's interesting, Jesus also said, blessed are the pure in heart. He said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart. So we've seen action, meekness, purity. The fourth attribute of heavenly wisdom is mercy. Mercy. James says true wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. This is a big theme in James. We saw this in chapter 2. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is the antidote to partiality. And James mentions impartial here in this list again. And so true wisdom is extending mercy and grace to others rather than looking to judge others. True wisdom knows that we are sinners and we cannot stand in judgment over other people. Instead, we seek to show mercy. We seek to show grace. We don't elevate ourselves over other people. When we do that, we are fools. We are earthly. You know, this is true even when we see a brother or sister in sin. So I talked about meekness and gentleness. Meekness and gentleness do not mean you just avoid all conflict. You never rebuke anyone for their sin. You just ignore it. That's not what meekness and gentleness are. But God says even when we see someone in sin, we approach them with mercy and gentleness. I found one other verse about this, Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. So even as we help each other in our fight against sin, even if you have to go to a brother or sister and have a tough conversation and address a sin that you see in their lives, it's still with gentleness, still with mercy. 
because we know we're not better than them. We know without Jesus, we would be on the road to hell. And remember, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. I think James maybe read the Sermon on the Mount. I think he knew it because so many of these words are coming straight out of Matthew 5 to 7. The one more attribute that we see of godly wisdom, the fifth attribute is peace. Peace. In verse 17, James mentions peaceable. And in verse 18, he says, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Oh, and Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. True wisdom brings peace. It is the opposite of the disorder that James mentioned earlier in this text. It connects with James's words of being open to reason and sincere here in verse 17. It's a person who has the peace that surpasses understanding in our hearts. And again, where does that peace come from? From Jesus Christ. True wisdom brings peace between brothers and sisters, not division. True wisdom flows out of a heart that is at peace with God. So in all of these attributes, these five attributes of wisdom from above that we've seen, we've seen action, we've seen meekness, purity, mercy, and peace. Brothers and sisters, do these mark your life? Do you have wisdom from above? Do you see these attributes flowing out of your heart, flowing out of your words, flowing out of your life? And do you have these voices in your life? What wisdom are you listening to? Do you have people in your life who fit these characteristics, who can speak into your life? I mean, isn't this the kind of person you want to be around? Isn't this the kind of person you want to seek counsel from? Someone who's merciful, peaceful, meek. That's the person I want to go to when I'm struggling when I need to talk. Do you have people like that in your life? Where's your wisdom coming from? What books are you reading? What shows are you watching? Is it all things that actually is provoking you to jealousy and selfish ambition? Or do you have people in your life who have these attributes and can point you to these attributes of true wisdom from above? Think about what you surround yourself with. So ultimately, how do we get this wisdom? I don't think we can walk out of here today and just say, I'm going to be more gentle. I'm going to have more peace. We must remember that the source of this wisdom is Jesus Christ. All of these attributes of wisdom are found in him. That's why Jesus is called the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom from above. Jesus didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. He had action. Jesus was meek, gentle, and lowly. Jesus was pure. He never sinned. Jesus was merciful. And in the greatest act of mercy, he gave his life on the cross that we might receive mercy. And Jesus is our peace. Jesus gives us our peace. 
and he made peace between us and God through his sacrifice. If you want true wisdom, you need Jesus. You need to go to God. And so brother or sister, are you going to the Lord in prayer to spend time with Jesus, our resurrected Lord? Are you spending time in his word to get true wisdom from God in his word? Do you have a relationship with God where you're praying to him, not just 10 minutes in the morning, but throughout the day, asking God for wisdom? Knowing Jesus is knowing wisdom. It may look different from what the world has to offer, but that's where we as Christians find our wisdom. And my friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you need him. You need him for any wisdom. We'd be glad to talk to you after the service about that. So it was about 100 years ago that there was a man named Charles. It's the 1920s. Charles was a Bible-believing Christian, and he went to study at a famous seminary in Germany. And in the 1920s in Germany, the seminaries had gone away from the Bible. They started putting human reason above God's word. Many of the professors at these seminaries were denying the Trinity, denying the resurrection, denying Jesus' miracles, and elevating human reason. So this young man, Charles, was in a class of one of the most famous professors, a professor who was said to have the whole New Testament memorized in Greek, in the original language. This man knew his stuff. And Charles asked this professor a simple question one day. He said, who was Jesus Christ? Who was Jesus Christ? And the professor paused, surprised at such a simple question, but thought about it. And the professor said, he was the greatest man that ever lived. Charles replied, that's all? Anything else? Doesn't Jesus claim more than that? And the professor thought another moment and said, that's all. He was the greatest man that ever lived. Later, Charles went on a trip to West Africa, and he met an eight- or nine-year-old girl, he said. And he asked this girl the same question. Who was Jesus Christ? And this girl said, in a sing-song voice, Charles said, without thinking about it, Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of my soul. Which one of them had true wisdom? The German professor or the girl in West Africa? She knew Jesus for who he really was. She had the true wisdom. Do you? Let's pray. Father, you are all wise, and you are good, and you have brought us all here today, and we pray that you would give us wisdom. We pray that you would show us Christ and show us the wisdom from above. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit to give us spiritual wisdom. Give us meekness, Lord. Give us mercy. Help us to be people of peace and purity. Father, help us to be like that little girl who had confidence 
in who Jesus is. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.